We're moving on in our series uh, this morning. We spent so far the beginning of the year laying Jesus as our chief cornerstone and our foundation. We're building another block on top of that, talking about discipleship. And the reason we're going to be talking about discipleship is uh, first, before we start talking about prayer and things like that, is because we want to really uh, establish relationship and helping one another as we strive to grow together in some of these other areas. Now, our family of churches for our guests have been known since basically the, the early 80s as a discipling movement. Back then, it was more unique. Uh, one of the first family of churches that really got together and really focused on the t- concept of one another discipling and in, in each other's lives. And, uh, you know, we've been doing this for a long time, uh, but now we need, I think, kind of kick it into another gear or think it through uh, with getting involved in one another's lives because we need to be in one another's lives. I got, I got an illustration. This will make some of you feel old if we don't already. Um, about 20 years ago, a movie came out called Castaway. I mean, y'all remember this movie? Okay. That's Tom Hanks there. And it's about this guy who he worked for FedEx and he was on a plane and then, you know, crashed in the ocean. He's the only one to survive and he gets washed up on this island, total, totally deserted island. He's the only one and he's there for four years, surviving on whatever's on the island and whatever washed up from the FedEx plane crash. And he lives there. And uh, he, he, he's, you know, you think, okay, some of us, we go on vacation to desert islands, right? We go to get away from people. We like the thought of sitting on a sunny beach, listening to the waves. Angela, am I getting to you? Yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) And he had, he had figured out how to live. He had figured out how to eat and find his food and make fire. And he figured out, he had everything he needed except people. And after a while, he just got so down, so lonely, so depressed, he tries to kill himself. And that's a spoiler, but it's a 20-year-old movie, so if you hadn't seen it yet, too bad. But he gets so lonely, he befriends a volleyball. Wilson! Wilson! Right. He, 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 he becomes his best friend. A volleyball. Because being alone is not good. And even as he goes and, you know, he finally gets off the island and he's floating on a little raft and then he loses Wilson. Wilson floats away into the ocean. And he's screaming and he's crying over his buddy, Wilson the volleyball. And he just talked about how, you know, he had on one hand what he needed to live. He had what he needed to survive except relationship. And he was willing to risk his life. because I don't care if I go out in the ocean and I die out there by myself in the middle of the ocean on this rickety old raft. I got to get out of here. I got to get back to civilization, back to people. We need people. We need them in our lives. In Genesis chapter 1, we talk about God talks about all his creation, right? And he's creating this day one, day two, day three, blah, 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 six days. Every time he created something, he goes, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's good. That's exactly the way I wanted it. And then he's got Adam, the man, and he's hanging out in the garden. He's in paradise. He's got everything he needs, including a one-on-one exclusive relationship with God. He's got the ultimate, just me and God. It really was just him and God. And God looked at that and said, yeah, he needs something else. He needs some more people. He needs relationship. And so God then, we bring in Eve, and then they start building in their family and doing what God told them to do. 
But God even saw just me and him, that's not even enough. He needs other people. Oftentimes we fantasize about being alone. We fantasize, you know, I'm going to go. Phyllis and I went on vacation last year. One of the greatest parts of the vacation is we had a cabin up in the woods that you could not see or hear any other human beings from us. You know, you think about it, you see those commercials where the mom locks herself in the bathroom in the bubble bath and the kids are at the door going, and she's like, I'm by myself. Or you get the man cave where I can disappear by myself. Sometimes we trick ourselves into thinking, all I need is me and God. Just me and the Lord. I love the church. It's the people that drive me crazy. I just need, I just need the Lord. And like I said, Adam had that. But God's going, nope, that's not good. That's not good. After a while, it wears thin. God saw that it wasn't necessarily true that it's great to be alone and by yourself and isolated all the time. Now, yeah, sometimes we need to be alone. Sometimes we need to get some me time. That's okay. Sometimes we need time alone with God. Just me and God, I need to go pray. I need to go talk with God. I need to go meditate, etc. I'm not talking to the saying it's never good to be alone. But it seems like what God is trying to say is that you need other people in your life. Which brings us to discipleship. Because basically what discipleship is, is one person helping another person become and be more like Jesus. It involves a relationship. It necessitates being involved in someone else's life. And it necessitates allowing someone else to be a part of your life. Because it's a two-way street. You can't live as a follower of Jesus and be cut off all by yourself. Because that's not what Jesus did. That's not how he lived. I can't be like Jesus and say it's just me and God. Because that's not what Jesus did. The head, you know, the Bible talks about Jesus is the head, the church is the body. said it many times. You know, the head without the body, okay, that's science fiction. That's not a good thing. A body without a head, that's a spooky Halloween story, okay? Spooky yeah. uh, hollow, whatever. You need them together. I don't have Jesus without the body. We need to pull it together. John spoke about this, uh, the Apostle John, in his first letter. We call it 1 John. And in chapter 4, verse 19... It says, we love because he first loved us. That's a great one. God loves us. That's awesome. Keep reading verse 20. Well, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen can't love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love his brothers and sisters. Now, sometimes we dance around this verse. Okay. We, we kind of get around and say, well, I don't hate I don't hate them. I just don't like them very much. Sure. You know. Or you can say, no, I love them. I don't like them. We somehow figure out how to differentiate that. I don't want to be with them. I don't want to be in a house church with them. I don't want to be in a Bible talk with them. I love them. I can't be around them, though. And some of those things may be true. We may feel some of those things. You've been around long enough, chances are you have. But it seems like what the Bible's trying to tell us here is, even if that's true, I, you need to work on this. You need to focus on this and figure this out. Don't just accept it. That's just the way it is. This is something that we would have to focus on to help us to be lovers like God wants us to be lovers of one another. 
well, how do I do that? How do I love my brothers and sisters? And that's kind of an ambiguous term. The Bible is so full. The New Testament is packed full of ways that we show this love to one another. The word one another, uh, olelon, is one Greek word. It's two English words. And uh, basically it's used over 100 times in 94 different New Testament verses. Most of them by the Apostle Paul. Talking about over half of them are specifically talking to the church how to treat one another. And you look at these and you know, I can't go over all of them. because I could, There's just tons of them. They're all over the place. But you kind of bring them into uh, categories type of things, you know, basic headings, like unity. Okay, you look at several of them, and it will talk about uh, different issues of unity. And we'll look at some of these. Be at peace with one another. Seek the good for one another. Don't grumble against one another. Be of the same mind. Accept one another. Don't devour one another. That's a real good one. Uh, (laughs) Be kind. Don't envy. Don't complain against one another. Be patient with one another. All of these things. And plus many more. It talks about doing these things in your relationships with one another. You say, well, how do I love my brothers and sisters? Well, right there is a whole lot of it right there. That's what I do or I don't do. And being together and being united. One thing that really helps this is our second category, which is humility. Okay? So you got humility. What do we have here? Give preference to one another. Others are more important. Serve one another. Wash the other feet. Be of the same mind, be subject to one another, clothe ourselves with humility. Wow. If we truly just had those handful of others in our attitudes with one another, our relationships would be incredible. Now, the other category is, it's kind of like what Paul did in Galatians 5, and when he says, and the like, it's kind of like, and the others. (laughs) All the rest uh, as we get. What, What are some of those here? Other passages talk us about don't judge one another. Don't put a stumbling block, bear each other's burdens, speak the truth, don't lie to one another, comfort one another, encourage building other, encourage towards love, pray for one another, confess your sins to one another, be hospitable to one another. All of these things. Do you think God wants us to have one another relationships? He wants us to be involved. It's hard to imagine how somebody could even have a small percentage of these in their lives, you know, uh, uh, by being alone, (laughs) by being isolated, by just showing up on Sunday morning and then leaving as soon as the last amen's gone. How could you even do any of these things? That these are things that, like I said, over a hundred times, the Bible, the New Testament is more focused on how we treat one another than it is focused on don't do this sin or that sin. I'm not saying sin isn't okay and it's not that important to avoid sin. I'm just saying when you look at this, it really heightens how important we being tied in. More than just buddies, buddies that go to a Super Bowl party together and have a good time. We're going to do that. But that seems like a whole lot more than that type of friendship. Overwhelmingly, we see the need to be deeply and intimately involved in each other's lives. We call that discipleship. Discipleship. Yeah. Now, I understand God is the one that makes us grow. God's spirit. God changes hearts. God makes us grow. But when I look at all of this, I'm going, 
Some people say, well, how does God work? A whole big part of it is through one another. He could have done it any way he wanted to. God is God. Jesus could have said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Now, go find the disciples. I'll make them for you. Don't worry about it. But you just go find them. I'll, I'll talk to each individual person like he did with Saul, right? I'll handle that. Don't worry about it. I'll disciple everybody. I'm best the one to do it, so I'll handle it. He could have done that, but he didn't. He said, go, make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. You go do it with other people. Even when the apostle Saul, well, he wasn't an apostle then, right? He was just Saul, the persecutor of the church. And Jesus goes, I'm going to convert this guy. And Saul's on the road to Damascus, and Jesus comes. He gets a personal interview. To my knowledge, the only person to get a personal interview. Maybe Peter did there in Acts 10. But as far as a conversion is concerned, the only one to get a personal interview with Jesus after Jesus had ascended to heaven. Okay, remember he comes in and talks, who are you, Lord? And he goes, I'm Jesus. To which Paul said to himself, oh, no. What do I need to do? And he goes, oh, go into town. I got somebody in town to tell you what you need to do. Well, you got my attention right now, Lord. Just tell me, what do I need to do? I'm here, I'm your man. No, I'm not going to town. I got somebody in there that's going to help you out. Why? Because I want you to know you need other people in your life. He's always sent them into other people. And so he, you know, and the same thing with Cornelius and Peter, I just mentioned to them. Cornelius is searching for God. God comes to him in a vision. Hey, Cornelius, you need to go see this guy named Peter. God could have said, hey, Cornelius, I'm here. Let me just tell you what's up. But he said, no, go see Peter. He comes to Peter in a vision. Pete, this guy named Cornelius is coming. You need to let him in. I ain't going to do that, Lord. He ain't gonna... Yeah, you need to do it. He needs to talk to you. Again, God's hooking up people, relationships. It's all over the place. We in our culture are so enamored with and held up by being your own man. I don't need anybody else. And it seems to me that God is saying, yeah, you do. And we're going to be talking about discipleship now for the next four weeks. How God uses things. And we've got to be careful because if he's using us, we can mess things up, okay? We've proven that. We can mess things up. So we've got to be careful. So we're going to be talking about this. We're going to talk about structure types of things. How do we do this and how moving forward? And, and, and we're preaching on, you know, the Bible doesn't say exactly how we need to do this. And that's true. It doesn't. But how do we do it? And how are we going to move forward? We're going to talk about who's in charge because that's always the big thing. Somebody discipling me. I don't want nobody telling me what to do. So we'll talk about authority. Opinion and advice. What's the difference? We're going to talk about accountability with love and grace. Can you have all of that? I hope so. But we're going to talk about accountability with love and grace. And then we're going to do something totally different that we've never done before. We're going to have a very special Sunday service. And you're going to come to church on that Sunday morning, and this whole room's going to be filled up with tables and chairs. It's kind of like a dinner theater, except it's going to be breakfast. No, we're not even going to have breakfast. <laughs> but you're going to be at tables. And we're going to have kind of a, a time of worship together. But then we're going to have a workshop on the subject and be able to talk at our tables. Yeah. How do I apply this specifically in my life? Yeah. And we're going to talk about how do we do these things that God has called us to do. Because we want to really implement this 
in our church. We want to build on the foundation of Jesus with this one another stone, this discipleship stone. Because Phyllis and I believe in discipleship. We believe in discipleship because we've lived it for a long time. Let me share with you our story. Back in about 1985, we were in the ministry, and uh, uh, we had been, this is our second church we were in, uh, in Dallas, serving as a young professionals minister, I think, is, was it called that back then? Yeah, and uh, we had decided to leave that. We stepped out of the ministry to go with another church that we were helping to start, helping to establish, because Dallas needs another church. And um, why did we want to do that? Because of discipleship. We wanted to be a discipling ministry. We had no idea how to do it, but we wanted a church that would say, man, we are going to be devoted to one another, really, and being involved in each other's lives. And the community that we were in was not going to do that, so we felt like we needed to go outside of that community. But a little bit later, a year and a half or so later, it became clear we had no idea what we were doing. So we said, okay, we're going to move. So in 1987, we packed up and we moved to Boston. We moved 1,800 miles away to a land that was not our own. We took our three kids, five, three, and nine months old, away from, to a place where there was no family, and we literally knew no one. We had acquaintances. We had had coffee or maybe a meal over a three-day period that we had visited. That's the only amount of time we'd spent there. And we packed up and moved. Somebody else found our apartment for us. We'd have a place to live and we got there. By the way, it was a dump. <laughs> Why did we do all of that? Discipleship. That's a simple word. We wanted to be in a place where people would be involved in our lives to help us out, to help us grow. It was primary, it was we want to be in that environment that honors and really goes after those verses. Now, we were there for 18 years. In that span, we had 11 different discipleship partners. So you can do the math. Say, so, well, that averages out, you know, you know, one every 10 months, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's not real. One of them lasted one week. Okay. I just counted it because 11 sounds more impressive than 10. But one of them was for a week. And so it didn't really matter. I think we had one discipleship time with them uh, type of deal. A lot of different people. Now, of all those people, only two couples were older than us, had kids older than us, our kids, and were married longer than us. All through this entire time, never did we pick our own discipleship partners. It was always assigned to us. Here's this person's going to disciple you. Sometimes the relationships were great. Sometimes it worked awesome. Sometimes the relationships were very strained. Sometimes they didn't work so good at all. And it involved with people that we were discipling too. Same, same consideration. And when you look at all of these things, and yet this was the period of time that we grew the most spiritually. It was during that time frame, during all those experiences. Now, like I said, sometimes it wasn't so great. You ever been in that situation where you were just treated bad? Yeah. Now, you can respond to that in a couple of different ways, right? You can say, I ain't never going to let that happen to me again. I never did respond. I responded more to, like, you know what? I never want to do that to somebody. Because I knew if I started saying things like, I'm never going to let that happen to me, then what I'm doing is I'm building walls around me and I'm fencing myself in. 
and I didn't want to do that. And it's, it was going to change. The relationship was going to change eventually, and so we're going to have somebody else. But God's trying to teach me something, and I never knew what God was trying to do, right? Uh, how the things are orchestrated. You've got to trust God like Josh was talking about next, last week. You know, this discipleship relationship, I've just got to trust God's in control. He's either trying to teach me something or he's trying to teach them something. He's good enough to do both at the same time. I don't necessarily know everything that's going on, but I need to show up and learn what I can learn. So we learned a lot of different things. Sometimes we learned by, I don't do it that way. (laughs) Sometimes we learned, hey, that was great and that was awesome. But we had those types of things. So when we look at that, that was kind of our experience. And uh, like I said, we never picked our discipleship partner because we determined that in that relationship with us, the success or fruitfulness of that relationship was not dependent as much on who was discipling us as it was on what my heart was at the time. That was the primary determining factor of how much I would grow. Not on how much that other person, quote unquote, had to offer me. And that's just how I view things. That's how I looked at it. Uh, and I know many here have had similar experiences. Like I said, we were discipling ministry. And a lot of you have been around here for a long time. And as we move into studying discipleship for the next three to four weeks, uh, we're talking with the elders and said, we realize this crowd, we have a whole group that says, I think I know what discipleship means and I don't like it. And we got a whole other group that says, well, I've heard about it, but I've never really experienced it. So we're going to try to start from scratch and see what the Bible says built upon the foundation of Jesus. So I know many have had similar experiences and things from the past could have been hard. But this is how I look at it. Think about this. I got three kids. They were all coming over or we're going to see them all this Christmas coming to the house. What if, you know, one of my sons was about to come to our house with Christmas? I said, no, 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 Phyllis. I don't know. Well, why not? Well, don't you remember what they were like 20 years ago? Don't you remember what they were like 30 years ago? Kid couldn't even walk right, making a mess every time, throwing temper tantrums. I mean, the kids now, uh-uh. I remember. I ain't getting back into that situation again. They are not welcome here. I'm not doing it. No, I would figure, no, my kid's kind of grown up. He's matured. He's learned things. He's learned how to walk and not throw temper tantrums and things like that. Well, I pray we've all learned something over the past 20 or 30 years. I pray that we've all learned how to help one another. And how to be better and improve just the way our children and we all learn as we grow up. And that's the way I kind of look at things at that. The only time that we did not have a discipleship partner, time we chose not to, translated into three years of the worst ministry experience we've ever had in our lives. I got so unspiritual, materialistic, selfish during that time. And then they fired us, and then we came to Champagne. You had no idea what you were getting. <laughs> so we packed up. Once again, of course, this time we only moved like 950 miles away to a land that was not our own. We knew no one. We had only had a few meals with a few people. We would only spent a few days here. Absolutely no family whatsoever. And somebody else found our first apartment. Okay, but this one wasn't a dump. It was a nice place. Judy Fee just hooked us up with a nice place. All right. But, but again, it was, it was that deal like, we're just going. We're just doing it. 
And it was a couple of weeks after we got here. Remember, we're coming off this time of nobody in our lives. And we saw it was a disaster. Uh, the Chicago church, which again, we knew nobody there. But we heard, I think it was like, we're still living out of boxes. They were going to Niagara Falls on a chartered bus um, to meet with these other ministers to kind of have a little workshop. So can we go? I said, yeah, yeah, sure, come on. So we get on the bus and go with them. And we ride up there with them, and we ride back, and we told them, guys, we need somebody to disciple us. I don't care who it is. You pick them. Don't care. Just we need somebody in our lives. And it was Darren and Sharon Gauthier. And they came into our lives. And I know many of you know them and love them. And when they came into their lives, and I've showed you this before, but I'll do it again for even some of our guests. I gave Darren this knife. Now, engraved on this knife is a passage, Acts 16, verse 3. If you look it up, you'll go, dude, that's weird. Um, it's a passage that talks about Paul convincing Timothy to get circumcised to be more effective in the ministry. Okay, you can say it. Dude, that's weird. Yeah. Now, here's the deal. That's Acts 16. Acts 15, they just met in Jerusalem and had a whole conference arguing how you don't got to do that. You don't need to do that. And in the very next chapter, Paul talks Timothy into doing it. Because he says, it's in my opinion that this is going to help you out in your ministry. So that's what this knife represents. It's like, Darren, here's this knife. And I want you to disciple me. Even on matters of opinion, I want you to disciple me. Not just, thus saith the Lord, thus saith this, right? What What do you think? That's what this knife represents. So I give him the knife. We go on a couple of years. We have a great friendship and relationship. And then Phyllis and I were faced with a huge challenge. It was a hard decision and a very, very, one of the hardest times in our lives. And we did not want to do what we knew we needed to do. We did not want to make a decision that we knew needed to be made. And I remember getting with Darren and Sharon at some noodle restaurant in Chicago. And we're talking. And I'm not coming around. And Darren reaches down in his briefcase. He pulls out the knife and boom, puts it on the table. And I'm going, dogs! Use my own words against me. And what helped, though, was the fact that I needed a brother who was in my life enough and who loved me enough to call me to do what I knew I needed to do. I just wasn't emotionally ready to do it. Left to my own, I probably wouldn't have. And I don't know what the consequences would have been. But I had a brother there who was loved me enough to pull a knife on me. That's what I'm talking about in our relationships. We believe in discipleship. We believe in people being involved in our lives. When we get into new discipleship partners now, we get together and say, okay, guys, here it is. And we tell them everything from the beginning of our marriage till now, all the junk, all the stuff that makes us who we are. And say, this is what you're getting. <laughs> and here who we are. We, we want your help. It's not perfect. We're not perfect. Discipleship won't ever be perfect as long as we're involved. But if you notice, God has never required perfection 
As we talked about a few weeks ago, he does require allegiance to him. And we help each other. We trust in God. And I'm allegiant to him. And we do our best. And we keep doing our best. Our goal is to restore these types of relationships in this church. They are there in certain places. But in far too many places, they don't exist at all. And I believe as a body, we are weaker for it. It will take some longer to embrace it than others. Some may never embrace it. I don't know. But this is where we are going as a church. I feel a little bit like Paul in Romans chapter 15. It says in verse 14 and 15, Paul said, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. Because of the grace God has given me to be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles. I believe you are full of goodness. I believe that you are filled with knowledge and experience and wisdom. I believe that you're competent to instruct one another. Competent to help one another. Competent to strengthen one another. Now I have not written you boldly, but I try to teach boldly. And with a little patience and humor along the side just to make it more palatable. But I want to remind you again, this is what we're called to. This is what we are called to as disciples of Jesus. And commit with the rest of us to revive this in our church. To re-engage with one another in this level. Making yourself available to be involved in other people's lives. And allowing others to be involved in your life. And join us as we together strive to rebuild this house of God one disciple at a time.